This is Existential, a podcast aimed at reminding you that it's okay to be human. We listen to human stories and human experiences, and we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. What's up, folks? Today uh, on the podcast are my friends, Dan and Kelly Matlock, and we actually did we live near each other. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were neighbors for a while. In the same fourplex. Yeah, <laughs> we, were, we were neighbors for a while, um, and then recently, as probably happens with a lot of us, reconnected via social media, and I became really interested in, in uh, you guys' story when I saw an article about an AG church being affirming. And then I saw it was you guys. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this, you know, <laughs> we got to talk about this because for those of you not familiar with the Assembly of God, Assembly of God is a uh, fairly, I'm not going to say fairly, very uber conservative yeah. um, yeah. Uh, evangelical denomination mm-hmm. um, with some, you know, I'll, I'll save all of my beliefs about them for another day. But uh, <laughs> For you guys to be affirming in that is like a big deal. So we'll get into all that. But just first, I want to ask you, how are you guys doing? What's what's going on in your lives? Tell us about the, the audience, who you guys are, what you're doing, where you're living, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, we're in uh, just south of Austin, Texas, in a town, uh, Kyle, Texas, uh, kind of in between Austin and San Antonio. Uh, we moved here in 2012 with a team of people to plant a church. Um and it's been about the first year and a half uh, just kind of serving the community. And we said we wanted to just be the church before we ever had church. And then we launched in the fall of 2013. And, um, yeah, just kind of pastored this church here. We moved from a little wedding venue to a, a middle school, you know, auditorium. And then we moved into our permanent location, moved into a building fall of 2016. And uh, it was it's been a great home for us. And then... More recently, like you said, there's been some uh, some changes. We kind of went through a, a journey of our faith, some deconstruction, and really kind of working through what we think. And um, and then in 2019, um, we can get more into this, but the short story is entered a season of discernment with our elder board about as it pertains to LGBTQ inclusion. And uh, last fall the board voted to be fully inclusive for the LGBTQ community. And we announced that in February of this year with the series we called clarity. And, um, it, uh, about two weeks after that series ended, mm-hmm. we were still doing some kind of learning nights to be able to discuss this. Uh, it was kind of when COVID hit and, uh, it's kind of a one, two punch from going from that right into COVID. Um, so we went immediately went online and, um, more recently, um, ended up losing our building uh, for some of those things. And uh, it's kind of a whole story behind that. But now we're uh, mobile. Um, also, within the past few weeks, I've stepped down as lead pastor. And Kelly is now the sole lead pastor of Icon Church. So we're excited for this new future for us. Uh, that's kind of the snapshot from my perspective. Yeah. Kel, anything to Just add? Just a few things yeah. going on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of things. That's all. Yeah, so it's obviously a big transition time for us and, you know, still, it's like there's still a pandemic happening and there's a huge, you know, church and career transition. And so, yeah, we're just kind of taking one day at a time just as we move forward, trying to figure out how to keep processing and then how to kind of adjust to what is now going to be our new normal. So, yeah. So, okay, lots of people in you guys' position that at least I'm aware of that went through some sort of deconstruction as like clergy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. eventually wound up not pastoring at all. Like you Mm -hmm. wind up just running into all kinds of difficulties. I imagine you guys have, have sort of had to navigate some of the complications that arise when Mm -hmm. you as church leaders start to ask questions about some of these fundamental pillars Mm -hmm that people have believed in and bought into over centuries. So what has that journey been like for you guys? How do you still hang on? And I definitely want to come back to the the sort of the other groundbreaking thing, in my opinion, the fact that, you know, um, Kelly, you took over as lead pastor, which, you know, very rarely happens, but we'll get to that. I mean, there's so much I want to get to, but let's, let's start with like how you guys are dealing with all of the, you know, fundamentalist Christian kind of pushback that comes from, from deconstruction. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> man, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot, you know, um, I think for me kind of where it started was, um, was around the time, oh gosh, uh, the years all blend together. It was around 2015 that I started kind of a, a deconstruction process. There were some things that I think I've always been a little bit of a, um, uh, kind of the company line just never really worked for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always um, been a little bit of a contrarian. I always, um, have, I feel like a lot of Christian answers um, just aren't really intellectually honest. It just, mm-hmm. some of that stuff just never really worked for me. And I'd find ways to kind of, um, as a question or a doubt would come up, I'd find a way to kind of stick my finger in the dam and kind of block that hole. And over time, it just got to be a lot. And in around 2015, the dam just finally kind of burst. And mm-hmm. for me, it got, it was at the core of, um, how, what the Bible is and how we approach it. And that speaks to the nature of God. And there are some things in there that for a while I'd have my ways of like, well, this genocide was because of this and this, you know, like <laughs> acting the babies on the rocks, like who knows, you know, and right, I kind of right. plug those holes for a season. And um, finally I, I was just trying to be really honest with those questions and doubts. And it came down to, uh, is God like Jesus? You know, because I look at the life and ministry and teachings of Jesus and go, there's no way Jesus would ever command this. So either mm-hmm. God and Jesus are different, which is like an actual church heresy. Um, God changes over time, which is another one. Um, and he's the same yesterday, today, forever. So, okay, so that's not an option. Where does God never said those things? And, and mm-hmm. to me, any explanation of like, no, here's how it worked, just felt cheap to me. It just quit working for me. Mm. And um, mm. and honestly, for the longest time, I didn't tell Kelly, I didn't tell anyone because of, I think, in the church world, especially as a pastor, um, you got to have it together. You got to know what you're talking about. You got to, you know, so there was a season that I was doubting God completely, you know, mm. wrestling with what, do I believe any of this? And mm-hmm. uh, and unfortunately, there's not a lot of places uh, for that. And I think what I started doing, and you, you know, you obviously grew up in the AG too. I think the stream I was brought up in, it was like, this is orthodoxy, this narrow stream and anything beyond that, they're all heretics out there, but we've got this figured out, you know, and I started reading outside of some of those streams and um, realizing, no, not only are these normal questions, these are questions that people have been asking for millennia. Like this is... Mm. And, and there's really great resources on these things. And I came to a place where I looked at the Bible as it is God's word. It is inspired, but it's God's kids telling God's story. And I shouldn't be surprised when Bronze Age people write in Bronze Age ways about God. And for me, that kind of opened the doors um, for, for me to kind of come back to faith. But I had to use that same intellectual honesty that I was with the Old Testament with the new as well. And I remember I was in I was in our bedroom here. And I remember when the thought popped into my head, if this is what I believe about the Bible, um, what does this mean for the LGBTQ community and how I approach that? And I remember, Corey, it was like, um, man, I, I just, it, it kind of collapsed, you know, like mm-hmm. I remember the ground falling out from under me. It felt destabilizing, you know, and, um, and I remember saying, okay, I'm going to have to wrestle with this. I'm going to have to essentially um, work through this. Like I have everything else. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then that mm-hmm. eventually started a conversation with Kelly and I, and mm-hmm. that's where we were. <clears throat> yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's unfortunate that church feels like one of uh, most of the time well the church as we have always known it right Mm -hmm. um has felt like the least safe place to ask questions Mm -hmm. and wrestle with your faith and it's so unfortunate because i just think like i think about even the fact that that dan was afraid to tell me some of these things Mm -hmm. you know just we have clearly there has been this culture that's been created that you know, and we we would see it happen. I mean, mm-hmm. we'd see people that pushed against the status quo and people that asked questions. We saw mm-hmm. what happened to them. We saw how they were talked about. We saw how they lost their belonging and mm-hmm. 
And that's really terrifying, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. yeah, I'll never, I was, I'll never forget. This is when I had landed in a place of affirmation, but no one knew. And I just kind of privately was holding this and wrestling through how I'm going to talk about this and to whom. And I was sitting at a lunch with all these area pastors that I was like in this, like almost like kind of accountability group with, you know, and these, these people had really made an impact on me and really welcomed me in this community. When things were rough for our family, when we first moved here, we really helped. And it was right around when Jen Hatmaker announced um, Mm. their full affirmation inclusion for the LGBTQ community. And one of the pastors was like, well, did you hear about Jen and Austin new church? And looks like they've gone full apostate and they all kind of laughed. And and I remember sitting there going, Oh, Oh, this is how you'll talk about me. You know what I mean? Like this, Mm -hmm. I get it. Like I understand now Mm -hmm. how this works here. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but it's true. You, the church, too often uses belonging like a weapon. Yeah, for sure. Well, so you know, we do have similar tradition. Like I grew up in AG Christian schools and youth groups, and though my dad was an AME pastor, um, it was like I had these you know these two worlds going on. But I certainly really understand because of this early indoctrination as a teenager, like the tradition that you guys are talking about. One of the things that I do so you sort of feel, it's never stated, but you feel in a lot of evangelical tradition is this patriarchal, the man receives the word for everyone and, you know, starts with his wife while she's the first lady. So you have like this, like, you know, very male dominated kind of thing. And even Dan, as you're talking about like the group of people that you're around, you know, these are all, it sounds like there's all dudes sitting around yeah. talking. Yeah. And, um, so to bring, and Dan, quite frankly, you're, you are, you're, you're, you are very verbose. And like you, like you, like as a man who like has a lot to say, mm-hmm. I know that it, it has to be, it, it's, it has to be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? What it has to be different. I don't know. Like to say, mm-hmm. I'm now going to like in a tradition that has formed and shaped a way of being that is male dominated to say, I'm going to move aside and have my wife lead and Kelly for you to take over and be, you know, the leader. How has that been? How does that feel? How do you, how have you processed all of that? I mean, I'll let you talk about what that's been like for you. Yeah. I can say you won't speak for me. No, no, <laughs> clearly not. She's the boss now. Listen, you know, like I got, so super, I, no, I got super nervous okay. when you said when you said I'll let. I was like, oh damn, please. Don't <laughs> I'll let you speak now. <laughs> that's right. Um, but I think for me, it's not. It's not just male dominated. It's male, cis, gendered, straight, white dominated for the most part in the circles that we've experienced and been up Mm -hmm. close to. So we've had conversations since, you know, for several years about how we change that. How is that reflected on our boards? How is that reflected on our teaching teams? How is that reflected in all these areas? And for me, I've, and we've had conversations about like, what does that look like as someone who has that privilege? Um, It's not, like, hey, I'm going to um, amplify this person's voice, but to give people that voice. So I've looked at this as an opportunity to, as as someone in culture that has among the most privilege mm. as a white, straight, cisgendered guy, to get out of the way. You know, like this is a great, and I know Kelly's heart is, okay, now how do we look to the margins to give more opportunity? You know, what does that look like? So I think... This came out of um, when we were on sabbatical, I had some conversations about what would it look like for you to take over and lead. At first, I was like, nope. (laughs) (laughs) Right now, what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs) And and part of that was this has been an unbelievable, uh, unbelievably hard season. Um, And I just was tired and it was destroying my soul. But I also saw this as an opportunity of like, hey, this is one step towards w- what we want to see more and more in the church. So um, it, it's kind of both and. It's been a season where I, I need this for my heart, for my soul, so this doesn't destroy me. But two, I'm really excited, you know, to 
to have a pastor, you know, that can pastor and lead me and to lead our church towards greater equity and towards following the spirit of Christ. So I'm also really excited about this season for, for me and for our church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause you know, when he first asked me and I told him no way, I think I, Corey over the past, like, probably I really want to say 2016 was when everything really I was like oh I feel like the last of the blinders sort of came flying off my eyes and I was like so deeply disappointed um with church with um Christianity um, with so much of it and so it has been a struggle for the past few years even you know, before we went through the clarity series and transitioned to being affirming church, you know, even before that, I was just constantly feeling like, I don't know if I can be a part of this anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, I think part of that was, um, you know, when what you're used to listening to are all of these sort of, you know, straight white, evangelical voices, you realize there is a robust theology happening within, you know, with black leadership and other people of color and the queer community. And, and so it was really kind of finding my way to that and going, oh, like this, there's something out there that actually is really beautiful and is, you know, totally different from what I'm used to. And I'm like, if that's what church can be, then maybe I don't have to leave it all behind. And so there was, you know, and then obviously our own personal journey with this whole process, there has just been a lot of deep, 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 deep hurt that we've experienced from people that we love and it's been very hard. And so that was starting to push me away. But I think, um, just as when Dan first said that to me, it was like it just this little thing just kind of dropped into my mind. And I just kept thinking, man, what if, like, what if this could look totally different? What if, what if it's, you know, it's not about the show and it's not about the, the lights and it's not about all of these things that, you know, I think for a while, you kind of feel like you have to have those things for whatever reason to give people a good experience or whatever. And, and just, I just started thinking about what could be and, Mm -hmm. and finding a way to be hopeful for what the church can actually look like. Mm -hmm. And ultimately it was, what if, what if our little community here in Kyle, Texas can Mm -hmm. actually be a place where people can feel free to wrestle. They Mm -hmm. can feel free to share their doubts and their struggles where we can actually openly care about justice. We can actually say everyone belongs to the table mm-hmm. and we really mean everyone. Like yeah. there's no asterisk mm-hmm. that yes, you're welcome, but you mm-hmm. know um, what could it look like if we could provide people, if, if church really truly was a safe haven for people and for all people, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think thinking about that, I, I was like, man, yeah, I, I want to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to say something now that's, I don't, I don't know if you guys are planning on sharing this with the church, but you'll definitely have to give a disclaimer after I say, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, this morning I was, I was meditating and, and, and reciting Psalm 23 and I find myself with prayers like that, alternating he and she. For uh, God, right. Mm-hmm. And so like, as I'm, Looking at both of you and listening to you talk, there's this this very rich feeling I, I feel of like there is something about um, you know the idea of God being uh, a woman, mm-hmm. you know, like that. That like, because you know we we our best attempts at understanding God are assigning he or she mm-hmm. to them. You know what I mean? So like I think that for me, Kelly, especially listening to you talk and 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 what I've experienced with you is just like this. Let's open up the, you know, the church has opened up spirituality, let's open up faith so that more people can, can come in. And it just seems to not be the nature of us as guys to be like, Hey, everybody, let's, you know, we're, we're, we're competing with everyone, you know, I don't want want to like, you know, pigeonhole every guy into that place, but, you know, just speaking broadly and generally about my experience of what, what, you know, masculinity has been is this, I got to beat you. I gotta, Mm -hmm. I gotta get in and keep you out. 
Um, and just to hear that a, a woman is leading a church, um, especially having taken it from, you know, a man who's leading it. It's just a beautiful picture, I think, of, of God. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I love, I like, mm-hmm. I have not used male pronouns for God in a very long time. Um, mm-hmm. At least I, I don't do it when I preach mm-hmm. and I haven't done it personally because I needed to make that shift. Mm. Um, and I have found like, and like you said, any way that we describe God is metaphor because Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. to try to assign a gender to God is just asinine. I mean, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, but I think like new shot, God doesn't have a penis. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, like, yeah, so it's all metaphor. It's all, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there is something really beautiful about when I think of just that sort of mothering, um, ability that all women have, Mm -hmm. you know, whether they are a mother, actual mother or not, you know, Mm -hmm. I think there's just this beautiful picture behind that. And I think, yeah, just opening up this whole kind of spiritual exploration, you know, where Mm -hmm. not confining the divine to something that we have confined the divine to for so long that has, Mm -hmm. that has put up so many barriers for people to actually experience love and to experience spirituality in a way that isn't offensive, that isn't abusive, that isn't, um, you know, in a, that's something that can actually be helpful to their life rather than something that has oppressed them, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think part of that is opening up that language to Mm -hmm. say, you get to, we, we can imagine God in all kinds of ways, however it helps us best connect. And I just, I want people to feel permission to do that. And the thing is, and and it's so important, like those theologies matter more than we even are willing to admit and and recognize. I, I think one, the Bible is a story of God's people reimagining God, you know? Um, so it's deeply theological. We we did a, a service on this uh, about a year ago talking about why theology matters. And we used this as an example, male and female pronouns for God, and worked through the theological, like clearly spirit in the Hebrew is a feminine, you know, term. And, you know, God is also, Jesus refers to God as this mothering hen protecting, you know, there's all these, you know, female pronouns. El Shaddai is the God who provides. It's most clearly defined as like the mini breasted God, you know, all of these feminine portrayals of God that are important. And we talk about that and we, we can intellectually say, okay, yes, God is neither male nor female, you know, um, that these are analogies. These are, and then I was like, okay. And I brought up our worship leader and I said, okay, then we're going to sing. She's a good, good mother. And you could feel this like Mm. almost visceral visceral like ooh, ah can we do that and i was mm. like yes Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and the point is like exactly like the, the fact that you have that reaction <laughs> tells us through the problem and how we're imagining god you yeah. know, like we need to lean into that tension and and we did and i think it, that sort of stuff is so important and yeah when it's you know male white heteronormative um we're missing so much yes. of a beautiful picture of god in our theologies that live themselves out in our daily lives yeah mm. yeah oh. and now you know i don't really listen to a whole lot of worship songs anymore but if I, that song ever comes on again i would definitely hear good good mother the whole like that's just <laughs> i kind of want to go play that song now you're a good good mother yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. So, Dan, you said something earlier that I, I I heard you say, and I've heard it before, and I, you know, you said soul crushing, right? And I've heard, in fact, I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago who works somewhere that I used to work, uh, and I said, I don't know how people stay, and he said, he, he said it's soul crushing. It, it's like, you know, or, um, you know, my, I, my soul is empty, something to that degree, right? And soul as an idea has been really interesting to me as I like, you know, that it literally means consciousness, like, yeah. that, like our, so when you talk about having your consciousness crushed during this process, could you take us into that? Like, what is, what does that felt like? What does that look like? Like, and obviously we know it led to you saying, I can no longer lead this. 
I need to hand it off, hand it over. So could you take us through that process? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that's always been important to me is, um, integrity in the sense of like, I am who I am. Like I'm, I'm the guy behind the scenes to say, Hey, newsflash, God doesn't have a penis. And I'm the guy who will say that from the stage. Like I can't pretend to be one person, one place and another, another, like take it or leave it. And I think that has fleshed it out. So when I went through deconstruction and lost my faith, like I eventually, I, on an Easter Sunday, I told my church about that. You know, I said like, I lost my faith. It broke, it fell apart. And I said, and honestly, the church rallied around that because it's like, but now I'm at this place. But then when I talked about why I lost my faith and that it was the Bible that really kind of killed my faith, um, Mm -hmm. that wasn't received quite as well, you know, but again, like I just, I can't not do that. And I think there was a season where though there would be pressure or, um, uh, things that would kind of come against that. I was, I, I still felt an inward strength. And I think for me, what got to me, it is when it started getting personal, you know, when it was mentors, when it was, um, close friends, when it was, uh, family, when it was, um, those things, you know, when you think like the people that know me the best, like, they're going to get it, you know, they're at least, they may not agree, uh, but it's still safe. And when some of those places were unsafe, it just, it sucked the life out of me. It, um, I mean, I, I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to, I had no motivation to do anything. And that's, that's what felt like soul crushing. Like we've done hard things, um, through the years and we've sacrificed a lot. And I've always, I've always been, up for taking a risk and standing for justice. And, but when I noticed those things getting depleted, I realized some of the only things I have left, if I were to continue to do this, it's going to cost me my life. You know, it's going to cost me and maybe not literally, but, um, could have been, it could have been absolutely. We've seen how many times. And I just, I felt like I've given this church so much I have nothing left to give, you know, uh, and, and I, I can't give it the only thing that's left. Like I just, mm-hmm. I refuse to. And mm-hmm. um, if that means we pack this up, you know, so be it. Um, it's, it, it's, it's not worth that. It's not worth my soul. Yep. Um, and that's why I first kind of went to Kelly and was like, Hey, I think our church needs you. Um, but also don't do it for that reason. You know, like don't do it out of this codependence, like, well, they need me. Yep. So, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's it's what led us to this, you know. So um, yeah. I think I think that's what kind of brought me to that point. Yeah, Kelly, what made you say yes? What made you you know you went from a hell no to a sure I'll do it? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, it was like a very. Yeah. Yeah. Her first yeah. response was actually like, "You're not getting out of this and leaving me behind." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what made you what made you decide like I'm gonna hold this thing and and this season for however long it is, yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna take over and, and lead it. Yeah. So it was really interesting when, um when we were having conversations and he hadn't made a final decision yet, Um, because we were kind of approaching it at this, what do we each individually want? You know, because it was like, yes, we've been a team for so long, but it was also, we wanted to each on our own say, what is it that we want? And when we, and, and, you know, and again, you know, and you're married. So any, anyone that's in a partnership with someone, you, you know that when that person is suffering, mm-hmm. that is it, it really, you carry the weight of that, whether yeah. you mean to or not. I mean, when yeah. you're watching someone, um, you know, lose relationships and be betrayed and have mm-hmm. the most horrible things spoken over them and to them. And, you know, it's just, it, I think I was carrying so much of that weight. And, and honestly, in our journey, I mean, I, you know, I lost some friendships too. I had some things happen, but I feel like on a personal level, it it cut Dan way deeper than it did me personally. Um, my like my handful of closest friends 
I didn't experience anything. You know, I didn't have that kind of betrayal happen. She's so better at picking friends than me. <laughs> much better than me. It's because I just don't have a lot of friends that are pastors. <laughs> so that's probably why got, that was where it was coming from. It's a, a good thing. Um, yeah. But, um, and I think when he looked at me and he said, I'm done, like I am, this is it. I am done. I almost literally felt a weight just release off of me. Um, and I didn't realize until that point. And I like, I remember talking through with my counselor about it. I was like, I didn't realize how much of his pain and suffering I was carrying. And that's mm. not because he put it on me. It's just, I think that's what we do yeah. you know, when, yeah. when we are in a partnership with someone, we do that. And, and so when I realized he's going to, he's going to, he's making the brave choice. He's going to take care of himself. He's going to be able to move forward and be healthy and whole. It was like, I felt like I had this space freed up to actually mm. consider, mm. well, maybe I, I can do this, you know? Mm. And, and so I think, you know, once I felt release from that and then I just genuinely, I, I just sat with it. And notice what I felt in my body when I went down either road. It's like whether mm. I walk away or I do it and mm. um, interrogated all of the reasons. I was like, I'm not going to do this because I feel obligated. I'm not going to do this because I think people expect me to. I'm not going to do it because I'm. if I don't, I might let people down. Um, I knew that it had to be something that I, that I did simply because I wanted to. Mm. Um, and when I really sat with that, I just was was like yeah i want to do this you know and with the cat with the understanding too that this is going to look very different moving forward you know yeah. Yeah. um you know it's we don't have a building anymore so it's it's we're online and it's gonna be look very different but that um that was part of the beauty in it is going oh we can actually move forward and create something new so yeah. Kelly, you said something just now that sounded to me like, from what I understand about aligning your chakras, was some, a tantamount to that, right? That you listened to what your body yeah. was saying. I, I want to hear you talk some more about that because I think that's such a rich spiritual practice to be like, mm -hmm. my body is saying something, not just my mind, not just my friends, but like, what is, what am I feeling when I have this thought? I, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's something that I've been trying to do more lately. Um, this whole idea of embodiment and like realizing that it's all connected. I think mm. I lived, I lived very disembodied for so long, um, especially. And this is this is like a podcast for another day. But growing up in purity culture and in all of that, you know, being taught mm. that my body was dangerous and that not to trust myself and all of those things. And I think I've moved away from that and have realized like, actually, like my body actually communicates to me. And, and if I'm like, if I'm thinking about, you know, making this decision and if I feel mm. my, if I have like this internal feel in my body of like anxiety and it makes me feel, um, you know, those kinds of things. And maybe maybe I can trust that, you know, maybe that's, you know, and so I think I, I mean, I, I still have so much to learn when it comes to like, you know, embodiment and all those kinds of things, but it's something that I, I'm learning that my, my body tells me, like it, it communicates to me. It tells yeah. me, you know, yeah. like if it lets me know what's best for me and the kinds of decisions I should be making. So that's amazing. That's awesome. I, lo I, lo I love that. I love that the the re-embodiment of faith yeah. from this like disembodied, mm -hmm. disconnected from the universe and mm -hmm. the planet and, and other people like this, mm -hmm. this bringing back into it, this idea of, you know, yeah. it, it's all somehow connected and we have to figure out what that connection is mm -hmm. and repair the broken connections as best we can. Yeah. Like, so, so Dan, like you've, you talk when you talk about losing your faith. I kind of thought about how many folks early on, when I was like talking about deconstruction and liminal mm -hmm. space, which I heard from Richard Rohr, mm -hmm. like that people were like praying and wishing, or almost like um, in this like kind of oh you're so cute way, saying mm -hmm. you'll eventually reconstruct. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I was going, I don't want to. I hope I never do. <laughs> um, but like. 
do you like i don't know that have you found that to be the case with people around you are, are they like sort of waiting for you to reconstruct do you feel like you have reconstructed in some ways like what what has that been like for you yeah yeah no absolutely the kind of patronizing paternalistic like oh yeah i remember doubting with the you know having questions about things. i'm like okay you know? too, man you'll cool. get over it you'll yeah, be okay yeah you know so it, it and they're like we're praying for you like and it's not that i don't want people to give their hearts and intentions to us in prayer it, it's I know what they mean by that. Yes. You know what I mean? By like, well, we're praying for you and your church and your family. It's like, okay. You know, I had one, had one pastor when I went up to officially kind of resign my papers. Cause we, you know, we were disaffiliated uh, from the assemblies of God. I, you know, was, had my credentials pulled um, and I, I didn't have to, but I wanted to go and speak to, to the board that was making that decision. It was like, no, like, I want this to be on the record. I want, yeah. um, I read a letter to them and I was like, no, like, I know this will be hard. It was like 20 some people in this boardroom table and me, but I'm like, no, like, I want this to be on the record. You know, did you end it with, you have no idea how high I can fly. I should have talked to you beforehand. Cause Damn. that would have been good. You have no idea how high I can fly. <laughs> oh man but you know it, it's and i had one i had one guy at the end he was like he goes dan you know he's this older guy and he's like i want you to make me a promise and i was like okay you know and he's like you know and he, he kind of walked through the prodigal son story and was essentially like i want you to know that the assemblies of god is always here waiting with open arms and we, you know when you come back someday i want you to know blah 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 he's like so if the holy spirit ever leads you back to a place you know where we are, would you, would you come back? And I said, you know what, if the spirit ever leads me there, absolutely. And I said, I only ask you one thing. I was like, if the spirit leads you in a direction where we have felt God leading us, yeah, I want you to know the same thing, you know, that God's sitting here with open arms, you know, and he's like, yeah, yeah. I don't see that, you know? So that like patronizing paternalistic, like I get it, you know, I, and it's frustrating and it's, um, but I, I do feel like in some ways I'm beginning to, I don't know if reconstruct is the right word, but, um, I was listening to, um, Peter Rollins and he was talking about deconstruction is, and sometimes you got to listen to him like three times. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Rollins will have you like just staring out the window for hours. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he was talking about the importance of deconstruction, not just the importance of it, how it, it for for the vast majority of people, it's just going to happen. Um, and it's not a bad thing. Um, but it, uh, he, he, it was this challenge to not live in that, you know, he's like anyone, he's like, it doesn't take, he's like a comedian can throw stones and break something apart. Like it's not hard to deconstruct. Um, he's like, but I would challenge you to lean in and try to build something beautiful um, afterwards. And he's like, it takes work to build. It takes work to put in a stained glass window where one was broken out. It takes work to build back these things and it won't look different. Um, and I feel like the best way I can explain it when I went through that process of losing my faith, it was like, I dropped everything. I mean, everything. I remember when I, when Kelly and I first finally talked and I was telling her kind of where I was at on everything. And I was like, like, babe, I'm telling you, like, I'm wrestling with every, every single thing. It was like, as it was like, I dropped everything and I picked it up and looked at it and goes, is, is this, is this worth holding on to? Is the spirit of Christ leading me to hold on to this or is it okay to let it go? And I remember there was one thing that came up. She was like, well, like, what do you mean? And I kind of like went through this litany of things and, and, uh, and I said one thing and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, <laughs> babe like and she was joking but she was like you can't wrestle with that like i don't know if we can stay married if you wrestle with that you know and we kind of like laughed about it and then, and then and then later we we talked and i was like babe like i've got to be able to like if, if you're not careful even jokingly that communicates okay there's the line 
You know what I mean? Like I can talk about everything up to that, you know, but. And to be clear, this was well before I had any started deconstruction my on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like, uh, it was, it was penal substitutionary atonement theory. Kel was Okay. So let me just, so when you <laughs> talk about a line as a married couple and you start a line with penal, like it, the, the, <laughs> I feel like the, all oh, came way Glad too, it was like delayed, like slow motion. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that was a big one, though. That's yeah. A big, huge, freaking deal that, like, especially in our tradition, we kind of accept it as if, oh, yeah, that's just what it is. It's always been that way. You can't really talk about that one. Of course. Yes. Of course, Jesus had to die yes. for all of our wretched selves. In a very particular way, you know, and, yeah. and it, was, it was presented as that is the gospel. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So to reject that is to reject Christ. Not yeah. to mention that's one of many theories of atonement um, that the church has held in orthodoxy across millennia, thinking all kinds of different things, you know? For so sure. it's just one thing. But in our tradition, that became the gospel. So for me to say that mm -hmm. then, I was realizing, no, oh, this is one of a lot of different options. I don't know how it works. I don't know but I'm just saying, I don't think that is the best and the only explanation of it. Um, but again, in that tradition, it's like you say anything like that and people are like, well, clearly they're lost, you know, they're, yeah. and um, yeah. And it's just, instead of, I mean, if pastors would have said, if people would have said, man, that's interesting. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. The difference that would have made. Um, yeah. Yeah. We're not, we're not always real good at embracing curiosity yeah. and it's like, you know, certainty is the goal. And that I think one, if you can learn to let go of certainty and embrace curiosity and learn to ask lots of questions, um, not only are you less stressed out, you know, cause it's like everything doesn't have to turn into this like knockout fight, but it just, it's amazing what, like what we can actually learn about one another and about the divine when we're, mm -hmm. we're like, Oh wow. So that's how you experience God. That's so interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I experience it totally different. Isn't mm -hmm. that so cool that God is so big that we can have totally different, but that's so often, you know, it's hard to find that in a lot of, you know, Western mm -hmm. white evangelical spaces. It's very difficult to find that. Yeah. So I want to ask you guys one last thing, because one of the things that, uh, a lot of Christians experience in their deconstruction. It's like the scariest part. And I think the center of all of the fear is hell. It's yeah. like this, if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. this is the price for it, right? Mm -hmm. So what have you guys done or, or thought through, or I don't know if, if arrived is even a good way to describe it. Actually, I know it's not because we've not arrived, but like, mm -hmm. like, what has the whole hell conversation been like for y'all, your church, or have you even had it? Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Yeah. I remember again, going for me, going through that process and picking that up, like, okay, what do I think about eternal conscious torment? Um, you know, because again, we've got to define our terms. So I could say, I believe in hell because I think it's happening in America right now. Yeah. I think yeah. it's happening right. all around the world right now. Like hell is real because yeah, ask Brianna Taylor's family. Absolutely, you know, ask, you know, you know the LGBTQ people that are being kicked out of their homes. Yep, like they're experiencing hell. Yes, you so know? absolutely, I believe in that. Now, what I mean by that, in this sense, may not be what people other people are referring to. So the idea of eternal conscious torment. Um, I remember when I picked that back up. Um, and I did. I read books on it. I remember when Rob Bell got his farewell, Rob Bell, with uh, Love Wins. Uh, I remember not being where I am now, but going, hey, he's asking some good questions. You know, at very least, can we not be so dismissive? Like, mm -hmm. we can, he's asking some good questions. And there's a few books that I read that were really influential f for me. Um, one, uh, Her Gates Shall Never Be Closed by Brad Jersak. And essentially, mm -hmm. he presented a few different options and went through the entire Bible and used scriptures to um, kind of speak to all these different potentialities. Um, and um, he was essentially saying, we need to be gracious with our theologies that we don't know. So often in the church, honestly, we worship certainty. We worship this mm -hmm. idol of certainty that we, it's a height of arrogance to say, 
in Western culture in 2020, we finally figured out God. You know, those dummies, <laughs> millennia, we, we got we know. it, you know? And, and so at first for me, it started with a um, humility of going, I don't know. Um, and the more I thought about it and the more I wrestled with it, um, and the more I was exposed to an orthodox theology of uh, things like, um, you know, uh, Christian uh, universalism or um, uh, annihilationism or, you know, these different, these other options. And I started wrestling with those and reading those. I came to a place where I could finally say, I don't believe in eternal conscious torment. I don't, I think if words have to mean things and we say that God is just, as soon as we say the word justice, we would all have this working definition. Um, and I don't think if my son who is not as finite were to make a mistake and I were to say, hey, I'm now because of the limited mistake you made going to torture you for the rest of your life, no one would call that just. Like, I wouldn't call you a good, good father for sure. No, no, absolutely. So, so it's just to say then like, well, God is just infinitely more just. Well, that doesn't change anything. Then, then we, then what you mean by just isn't just. Um, you can say um, that God is ultimately uh, bound to His law, and He made this law, so He's ultimately bound to that. You could say that, but you couldn't say He's just, and you couldn't say He's loving. Um, and I, I came to that point of going, man, I don't have it all figured out. I do have some ideas that I, I would kind of lean towards, but I surely don't believe in eternal conscious torment and. Mm-hmm. And when I let go of that, like it, 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 so often I realized it was a tool used to keep people in line. Yeah. Yeah. As long as you hold that over somebody, they can't ask the questions. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that and realized, no, I don't believe an infinite, all loving, all just God would infinitely torment, torture, and punish finite created beings for a limited number of choices. I just don't believe in that. I, yeah. I, I can't like silly now, you know? Yeah. yeah. And when I let go of that, it, it, I felt a freedom of going, Oh, mm-hmm. really? That was just this tool to keep me in line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So much of it is about fear, you know? And I just keep thinking, I'm like, if you like fear is so powerful and you know, that fear of hell it sure, it did. It kept me in line mm-hmm. for a long time. You know, I behaved very well, you yeah, know, yeah. and, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's, I think letting go of that, I think what so many, cause you know, so much about, about religion is often about control. And I think that there's like this fear that like, if people, you know, if there's not something terrible to keep people in mind, then everyone's just going to go off the rails, you know? And like, Mm. but what I found is actually it, it gave me this amazing freedom and it actually made me like, instead of having so much of the focus of my faith be on this, like, personal, how am I with God? Am I pleasing God? Is God mad at me? Am I going to go to hell because I did this? Or am I really saved? Or it was like Mm -hmm. so much mental energy was spent being consumed with my own spiritual condition that when I started to let go of some of those theologies that painted God to be this like being that was ready to like strike you down for Mm -hmm. being disobedient, it freed me up to go, oh, like, it helped me love my neighbor better. Mm-hmm. It like the more mental energy to like actually care about people's lives here and now. Like, yeah. I think, you know, even that whole eternity conversation, I think it's been used so often too, for us to have this escapist mindset of like, well, we're all going to go to heaven anyway. So it doesn't matter. And it's like, no, like people right here, right now on earth today are in poverty. People yeah. are, you know, people are being, you know, shot and killed by law enforcement people are being discriminated against people are fighting for their life and it's like that matters and Mm -hmm. so rather than being so concerned about some you know this vengeful god now i'm like oh this has freed me up to actually embody more love and if god truly is love then i feel like that's 
yeah. direction I should be yeah. going, you know? So yeah. 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 Felt really good yeah. to let that one go. Yeah. I remember I read, there's a book called, um, how God changes your brain. And mm-hmm. they, it was written by a Christian and an atheist and they did fMRI scans. Um, so MRI scans while people are awake and ask them questions about God and ask them to pray and ask them to do all these different things. And regardless of religion or what kind of faith, they were just seeing how a belief in God rewires your brain. And they found that, again, regardless of kind of what God you believe in, if you believe that God was primarily angry, vengeful, retributive, that changed your brain. In Mm. some ways, it made you uh, better at impulse control, because again, you were afraid. Um, Mm. But it made you less empathetic, less loving, less less gracious. Mm. But if you believed God primarily to be loving and gracious and redemptive, it led to greater degrees of empathy and love and understanding for other people. And and we see that play out in our world every day. You know, we see Mm. that in our culture. We see that in our country when people are believing in a God, that God is angry and retributive and out to get us, um, we see that in the church. So it's led us to go, we want to point people towards a loving, redemptive God that is at work through us in this world. And hell matters because it's happening every day. And and we need to be about bringing the kingdom of God here to earth. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Yeah, dude, I, I would, I'd probably go to y'all's church. <laughs> no that's a, that's um, a big deal yeah. <laughs> well thank you all for coming on this has been great i really appreciate you guys taking the time uh to talk to us and and give us your perspective and your experience it's such a, it's it sounds like such a courageous story to me and and, and i because of my proximity to the tradition and and having going through my own process of feeling that that moment i felt if i let go of these beliefs what's going to happen? Like mm-hmm. how many friends will I still have? Will, yeah. will, you know, will, will there even be family who, you know, don't uh, connect with me in the same way? So I just, I, I appreciate you guys sharing the story and, and, and having the courage to do it. And also to still, you know, pastor, to still like stay in ministry the way you are is, is, is just, it's remarkable. So I appreciate knowing you guys and you guys being on the podcast. Aww, Thank you for the thanks. opportunity. Yes, yeah. Corey, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, folks, that was Dan and Kelly Matlock, my friends from Texas. Um, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to all of you who are part of the Patreon community. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you for those of you who have rated and reviewed the podcast. And thank you for helping us to contend for a better world, one conversation at a time.